Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw that some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people will honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares what might have been used to help their mother or father is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus asked the crowd to him, called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. To God. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Gordon, and uh, I'm the assistant minister here. And a uh, special welcome to you if you're new or visiting us here at St. Stephen's. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, we're in a series of talks uh, called Big Questions for Our World. Uh, and these talks are really, I guess, to open up a discussion about some big topics at St. Stephen's. Uh, we want to be a place where anyone can come to explore uh, the big questions of life. Uh, and that's what this is all about. And actually, in your booklets, um, you'll find in the middle pages, I think, uh, some extra questions, uh, which can be for... Uh, further discussion uh, to have with a friend, maybe over coffee, uh, just to continue chatting, or maybe to start up a, co- a discussion about uh, today's topic. Uh, for our regulars, um, today might be a little bit different to the talks we usually do at church, uh, which unpack a passage of the Bible. Uh, today, we're unpacking a question. Uh, this question, are we getting smarter? Uh, growing up, uh, Dad taught me how to play Chinese chess. Uh, does anyone know how to play Chinese chess? Um, 
it's, uh, it's, it's like normal chess, uh, except you know, we Chinese, we couldn't be bothered making the figurines. We just wrote the word for you know, soldier and horse on the pieces themselves. And so growing up, uh, dad would teach me how to play and we'd play together. And you know when you're playing with a child, you, you would go easy on them, right? And that's what dad did. He'd always go easy on me. Except one time, when I was about 15, uh, we were playing chess together, and the game was going quite well for me. You know, it was, it was going really well. And my uncle, he was there, and he was watching us play. And he noticed that the game was going really well for me. And so he asked my dad, he says, Ako, which is older brother in Cantonese, he's like, are you going easy on him? My dad replies, no. My eyes light up. You know, a few moves later, checkmate! I just beaten my dad properly for the very first time. Now, before you think I'm some kind of chess master, uh, my uncle may have pulled me aside a bit later, you know, just before I was about to brag to the whole family. And my uncle may have said to me in a rather impolite way, young punk, didn't you see that your dad conveniently never played his two rooks the whole game? He let you in. <sighs> you know, moments before, I thought I'd reached a key moment in my life. Moments before, I thought I'd become smarter than my dad. Are we getting smarter? That's our question today. And it's not just a question on an individual level, you know, like, am I a better chess player than my dad? Am I smarter? It's a question for us as a human race. Are we, as humanity, are we getting smarter? Are we progressing? Uh, is each generation surpassing the previous one? You know, is, are we smarter than the past generation? Is the next one going to be smarter than us? And if you think about it from, an, from, from one particular angle, the, anger, the, the answer's got to be yes. It's got to be yes. We know so much more stuff about the world now than we did ever in the past. You know? And we can do so much more. So, uh, did you know that this Apple Watch, which is small enough to fit around your wrist, it has a computer inside it that has a million times the processing power of the computer that sent the first man into the moon, uh, Neil Armstrong, back in 1969. Um, not just that, think about our medical knowledge. Uh, when I dislocated my knee playing soccer, they poked two small holes into my knee and they fed a tiny camera into my knee just to take out like minuscule bone fragments. And in all that, I didn't feel a single thing, you know, because of the anesthetic. Now, if I was living in the ancient world, that injury may have made me crippled for life. Now, you might be asking, what about our actual IQ levels? Well, uh, this man here is Professor James Flynn from Chicago University. He wrote uh, in a famous research paper that human IQ scores have steadily increased since the test was invented more than 100 years ago. So that kind of says it, doesn't it? You know, we are more intelligent as a human race. We can do more things. We can make better things. We know more information now than we did in the past. Uh, but it's not just that we know more. We also know that some of the things they knew in the past was incorrect. Uh, so for example, we all know now that the Earth is not flat, it's round. Even our kids know that. But not just that, we now know that some of the things they knew in the past wasn't just incorrect, it was sometimes dangerous and wrong. Uh, so here's an ad 
from 1900, I think, from Bayer Pharmaceutical, which is still a big company now, um, offering heroin as a cure for your cough. We're not just smarter, we've also corrected the mistakes we had in the past. I think this is where a yes answer to the question, it matters for us. Uh, if we're smarter, then that means that we're progressing as a human race. It means that we're able also to reduce and to eliminate some of the errors that we made in the past. We can fix our problems because we're smarter. We can fix our medical problems, we can fix our social problems, our economic problems, our environmental problems. So do you see that behind this question, are we getting smarter? Do you see that behind it lies our hope? our destiny as a human race. You know, we want this to be yes. So why might people argue no? Well, in a recent BBC article uh, titled, Has Humanity Reached Peak Intelligence? Um, the writer there, David Robson, he said that you know, even though IQ levels were rising since 1904, um, as, as the, the Flynn research uh, famously told us, uh, since the 1990s, though, uh, so a few decades ago, IQ levels were actually plateauing. They were stalling. Uh, so sorry to those who were born in that era. Uh, that's myself, probably. In other words, we might not be getting dumber, but we're not necessarily always getting smarter either. You know, perhaps there were just some generations that were particularly smart. Uh, you might think of the Einstein era, you know, the guys like Albert Einstein, Niels Bohr, these were physicists, these guys were like greatest of all time level kind of scientists, right? And so just because we might be able to write a physics essay on ChatGBT now, doesn't actually make us smarter, a smarter physicist than Albert Einstein. Another thing I think we need to consider uh, actually comes from the American Psychological Association. And the big question is, is IQ actually the best way to measure smartness? You know, what does it actually mean to be smart? And so this article, it pointed out that IQ and what we might associate as being smart was a Western idea. Um, it may be how we categorize smartness here in the West, but in other cultures all around the world, particularly in African, Asian, Latin American cultures, other things were valued when it came to being smart. So um, there's a quote uh, from this article which says, when rural parents in Africa talk about the intelligence of children, they prefer not to separate the cognitive speed of intelligence from the social responsibility aspect. In other words, there's more to being smart than just IQ and acing your school tests. It's not about how good the cards are in your hand, it's how you use the cards. That's what a friend used to always say to me every time I beat him in a school test. What we care about in this question, are we getting smarter, is more than just pure knowledge and rationality in the head. We care also about wisdom. We care about social intelligence. We care about emotional intelligence. We care about creativity. And so perhaps it's a little naive to say, yes, we're getting smarter. I feel like it might be a bit of a stalemate. You know, one side says, yes, we, we are smarter now. You know, what they knew in the past, it's outdated, sometimes incorrect, sometimes even dangerous. And we've all correct, we've corrected that now. 
And the other side says, well, no, we might know more stuff now collectively as a human race, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what we know now is always more advanced than what people knew about things in the past. We can't just completely replace and chuck out and revise our old traditional understanding of things. Uh, so I used to work as a rail systems engineer, as some of you know, and our company was one of many that worked on the Sydney Metro project. And actually, just before I came into full-time vocational ministry, I was involved in a small study on the signaling system for this metro, uh, which we presented to the government. And the shiny new technology at the time was driverless trains. You know, no human driver sitting in the cab, uh, but a computer driving all the trains, you know, trains filled with hundreds of people, a computer system making sure that the trains don't crash. Now, I don't think it's controversial for me to say that the public rail sector here is quite conservative, and so they weren't completely sold on this latest technology. And so what happened was this battle kind of went on, which went beyond this topic of trains. You know, there were these young Gen Ys, like myself, uh, we were kind of pushing for this new idea. You know, they use this all around the world. They use this in, in Europe. It's perfectly safe. Robots aren't actually dangerous. It's how you program them. And you know, we've, we've got to move on from old, rigid, traditional ways of thinking about things. And then on the other side, these, I guess, elder statesmen in the industry, uh, you know, they're just about to hit retirement, 40 plus years in the industry, they were saying, you know, you young fellas, you have no life experience, no experience at all, new ideas. Uh, they just they can't always replace traditional ways of doing things that have just stood the test of time. By the way, um, the metro is driverless, so you can see who won that battle. <laughs> but I think it kind of encapsulates this broader debate going on. The question, you know, are we getting smarter? It reveals a cultural debate between old and new, you know, between life wisdom versus raw head knowledge, between tradition and technology. And I think where this debate gets even more interesting is when we consider how it plays out in perhaps the most important question for people right now. And look, maybe at this point you're thinking, you know, well, this, is, this is all interesting, but so what? You know, what has this got to do with me and my life? Uh, this is where I think it matters. See, the most important question for people right now is the question of identity. Who am I? Uh, this is an even bigger question than what do you do? You know, what do you do for work or what do you study? Or what's in your, who's in your family, sorry? Or even the question of what do you believe? And so I remember being in a group conversation one time and someone asked me, so as a person of color, what do you think about this topic? It wasn't, what do you think about this topic? It was, you're a person of color, you're Asian background, that's who you are. So how do you see this topic through that identity? I don't mind that, but I guess it shows that our identity right now in this age, our identity, how we understand who we are, that's the supreme question for this age. And this is also an extremely interesting arena for our question today, are we getting smarter? Are we getting smarter? Are we getting smarter about ourselves? Are we better at understanding who we are now than in generations past? 
Are we better at understanding how to find ourselves, how to find our identity now than in the past? And this is where I think we see a real cultural debate taking place between the present and the past, between tradition and what I'd call authenticity, between looking outside of yourself versus looking inward and inside yourself. Now, see, in the past, you found your identity, you found who you are by looking outside, by looking to the cultural structures and traditions. Uh, so take my dad again. Um, he doesn't watch this stuff, so I can talk about him all I want. Um, my dad was born in a lower-class Han Chinese family, and he grew up in a poor part of Hong Kong that's often associated with crime and triads. Uh, he was the eldest son of four, and that's how he understood himself, based on these social categories growing up. Now, he, as he became older, became a man, he changed some of the ways that people outside of himself looked and understood him. He changed the ways in which society understood himself. So uh, he uh, went to university and became an engineer. He became part of a church. He got married, had a family, migrated to Australia. He was able to change his identity, who he was, but who he was and how he saw himself was still based on things outside of him, uh, social structures, social traditions, the groups and the institutions that he belonged to, you know, his career, his family. And that was a very normal way of understanding who you are, you know, not just back in my dad's generation, but you know, way down in history, throughout history. That has been the way. That's been the way. Now, Take me and those, I guess, in, in, in my generation. It's not like those things outside of me don't matter, the things in yellow. What matters more, though, is who I choose to be and what I choose to identify with on the inside. So I might be ethnically Chinese on the outside, but I choose to identify as a white Australian on the inside. I might be an engineer on the outside, but I choose to identify as a creative expressionist on the inside. It's all about being authentic to who I am on the inside. And that's what we celebrate now. That's what we celebrate now, being authentic, being true to yourself. Not just that, to not allow someone to be true to themselves, to be true to their authentic self, well, that's wrong and that's oppressive. So. My family wants me to be a doctor, but I, inside, I don't want to be. Or, society wants me to be X, but inside, I'm Y. Or, an institution or a group, particularly a religious one, they want me to be A, but inside, I'm B. Now, in the past, that'd be normal, but now, that is oppressive. Nothing outside me can tell me who I am, not my family, not my company, not society, not a religious group. I choose who I want to be. Uh, as one social commentator explains, he says, now we find our true selves by detaching ourselves from external influences like home, family, religion, and tradition, and thereby determine who we are for ourselves. That's what it means in our world now to be true to ourselves, to be authentic. And yet there are those in our world also that think that this way of thinking isn't very smart at all. So one very 
loud voice, and this is Jordan Peterson. He says, in the West, we have been withdrawing from our tradition, so religion and even nation-centered cultures. And he says that this is no improvement at all. So do you see the clash here? The clash between old and new, between past and present, between tradition versus being authentic. See, our, our current age of authenticity says, yes, we are now smarter than, than the past. We are smarter about understanding who we are. The old ways of understanding who we are based on your traditions, based on outside things, that's outdated. Uh, that's actually oppressive to me and being my true authentic self. And the other side says, well, you can't just cancel and rewrite and revise all these old ways of understanding ourselves, these traditions that have structured society and us and stood for generations. Well, what do you think? Do you think we're getting smarter about ourselves? Do you think we're better at understanding our biggest question? Who are we? You know, who am I? Well, into this debate, I want to bring in the voice of someone from 2,000 years ago, from a relatively primitive age, an age without Apple Watches, without modern medicine, not even trains. And that's the voice of Jesus of Nazareth. What does Jesus say about who we are as humans? Now, the story that Theo read for us earlier, it was recorded around 40 years after Jesus was crucified, and it was recorded by one of his followers, Mark. And in this story, we see two things. We see, one, that Jesus engages with tradition. And also, two, we see that he also engages with what it means to be authentically human. And the story all starts with Jesus' friends, his followers, the disciples. And they're not eating food with washed hands in verse 2. Now, this is more than just a hygiene issue. Uh, it actually went against the Jewish culture and religious tradition. And we see this in the next verse. Uh, it says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Do you see that? And see, the gatekeepers of that tradition, the, that culture and that religion, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to Jesus to complain. In verse 5, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands. And you could say that here we see the oppressive power of human tradition over the individual person. And you could say that this is something that has just characterized the pre-modern world, you know, cultural, religious traditions, enforcing behavior of individual people. And you could say that in our world right now, that kind of stuff, that's oppressive. So how does Jesus respond to this? Well, we see that he responds by challenging human traditions. And I think in doing so, he affirms the value of being an authentic human. In verse 6, he says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. He then goes on to say in verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. In other words, what really matters to God and to Jesus isn't sticking to man-made traditions, man-made religious rules. What God really cares about is the human heart. 
what's inside of us. That's what God cares about. In fact, these human traditions, particularly those that are used in the name of religion, Jesus says they can be used to manipulate and oppress others. That's what he goes against them in verses 9 to 13. Jesus has a go at these Pharisees and teachers of the law for basically neglecting their parents by using their devotion to religion, that's the Corban thing, as an excuse for not caring about their parents. And that basically goes against what God wanted. God wanted us to honor our parents. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And by setting up these man-made traditions in the name of religion, they've completely missed what God cares about, which is the human heart. See, washing hands, it can't change someone's heart. That's what Jesus is trying to say. At the end of that section, he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. No, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. What matters to Jesus is not what is outside a person, but what is inside. Do you see that our authentic self, our authentic humanity, it matters to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just challenge human tradition. He also gives a very confronting challenge to what it means to be authentically human. So verse 15 continues, he says, Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. His disciples don't quite understand this, and so they come to him privately afterwards. And Jesus says quite, quite bluntly in verse 18, Are you so dull, he asks, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And what Jesus says next, I think, is one of the most challenging things for us as humans to hear. In verses 20 and 21, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You see that the human heart matters to Jesus. Being authentically human matters to Jesus. But the authentic human self, the real human heart, is naturally evil. We're evil. Our hearts are a factory of evil. And this is the most challenging doctrine, I think, from Jesus the authentic human is not inherently good on the inside. On the inside, we're all inherently evil and corrupt. C.S. Lewis, he's a famous author, wrote the Narnia book series. He says that fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. The human problem is not that we're imperfect. It's that we're evil. That we're a factory of evil. And I think the biggest mistake when, that we make when we have this discussion about human progress, are we getting smarter? The, the biggest mistake we make is that we underestimate how evil we are. We underestimate the extent of human evil. Did you know that the fastest growth in technology, it's always come because of war. 
our progress as a human race hasn't changed the fact that we still commit great evils to each other. And Christianity, at its core, it's not about improving your quality of life. It's not about improving you, primarily. Jesus isn't just a teacher that offers wisdom on how to progress as a human. He offers to be our saviour. To be our saviour. He offers us forgiveness. He offers to cleanse our hearts, to renew and redeem our inner authentic self. I wonder what you think about all this. Like I said, this is about opening up a conversation about whether we're getting smarter. But allow me to end with this. Are we getting smarter than Jesus? Do we need his view on humanity anymore? I'm not just talking about the man who lived and walked around on this earth 2,000 years ago, but the same person who is even more ancient than that. Jesus is the Son of God, the one whom the Bible claims has no beginning. He always was, as we sung about before. And we were made through Jesus and by Jesus to be intelligent beings, to develop and to progress, to be creative, to be rational, to be social. We were made through him and by him to flourish. And yes, as humans, we have advanced and we have progressed. In many ways, we are smarter. But we chose to develop and to progress without him. And that's how we became corrupt and that's how we became evil. And human progress, our progress has never fixed this and it can never fix this. And yet this Jesus came to save us, to die for us, to offer us forgiveness, to offer to cleanse and renew our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And in his resurrection from the dead, he offers us a much better hope, a much better world, one that none of us could build. And this is the one that he's building himself, one that is free from all human evil. And is there a better hope for humanity than this? Are we smarter than Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world. Thank you that he reveals the truth about you and thank you that he reveals the truth about us, that we're fallen, that we're evil in your sight. Thank you that he offers us forgiveness by his blood shed on the cross. And thank you that he offers us an inner renewal, a new heart by pouring out his Holy Spirit. And thank you for the hope of eternal life and the hope of a better world built by the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.